With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to Watch the Straight Show. It is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope your Groundhog Week has gotten off to a great start as most of us are hunkering down again for our fifth week of self-quarantining. The days have blended into weeks, my friends. It is just going on and on, but it needs to be done. I did read a funny meme the other day. I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, it had something like, we're celebrating a -a one-of-a-kind leap year here in 2020 with 29 days in February, 300 days in March, and 500 days in April. And boy, does it seem like it. But anyway, I hope you guys are all feeling healthy, staying hunkered in. Uh, we talked yesterday. I hope you guys had a great Eastern Passover weekend and you were able to spend a little FaceTime. Or uh, I had a lot of friends I saw on social media that would go drop off little Easter baskets or something to their boyfriends and parents and things like that and a little social distancing. It's just hard when you can't hug someone. I'm a hugger. You guys huggers out there? very weird what you can't really hug anybody um and it's it's been a long time not to do that so we are going to uh get through this all together but i appreciate you guys tuning in i have a fantastic show for you today if you missed yesterday's show we're doing musical mondays and on musical monday yesterday i had three amazing singers and songwriters for you starting with the handsome and charming David Hernandez from American Idol. He's streaming a live quarantine show uh, every Wednesday evening out of his apartment. He's taking requests, doing like an hour and a half show, taking questions, giving the fans the opportunity to tip through Venmo or PayPal, because we've talked about all these artists out there, all their gigs have been canceled. So, uh, they're performing. They're finding great ways to use the streaming platform to perform, and hopefully we're all out there tipping them and helping them get through this time along with the rest of us. You don't have to tip to listen in, though. All the streamings that are out there are free, 
And uh, so that's always a good thing. Then after David, I had country music cutie patootie Cameron Hawthorne call in from his parents' house in Dallas. We talked his new single, Oh Hot Damn. It's a great line dance. If you're a line dancer out there, you got to check out that song. Check out the video. It teaches you how to do the line dance. And we talked about how he's holding up during Corona 2020 out in Dallas area. And then finally last night, I got to chat with Jacob Daniel Murphy. He was chosen to be on Team Blake Shelton on this season's The Voice. He definitely has an amazing voice and an amazing story. So I hope you'll check out the episode if you missed it last night. It's available now on all your favorite podcast distributors. You can go to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, so many more. Just uh, type in Left of Straight Show and you will find it. And hit the little subscribe button on there. And if you like the episode, please give it a, uh, a big rating so we can get seen by other people that come in and check it out. In just a little bit, I'm going to have two all-new interviews for you tonight that I know you're really going to enjoy. First up will be multi-hyphenate Michael Verratti. He's a writer, director, producer, actor, podcaster. He does it all. He's tackled the horror genre as well as taken on seasonal Christmas movies as well. It's a great interview. Great to have him as part of the Left to Straight Show family. And then back on the show is the amazing interview interviewer Adam Rothenberg. Um, I've really based a lot of my interviewing techniques on Adam. He's had the Call Me Adam blog and podcast for like 12 years now. He does, he like, he's like me. He does a lot of research, and I think that's where I got it from, from listening to his shows. He does great research and does some great interviews with questions you might not expect and the Call Me Adam blog and podcast. So long admired him, and he'll be on for the second part of the show. Before we get to the show, though, I do have an announcement to make. I've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. Due to all the interviews, I've been lining up because everyone's out of a job, right? So I am doing interviews left, right, and center. So starting next week, I'm going to expand the Left of Straight show to five days a week, Monday through Friday, starting next week. Um, and I'm going to keep doing it through all of Corona 2020 as long as I keep doing all these pre-tape interviews because I have a lot of great people out there. People whose stories you need to see, people who are finding ways to make money in this crazy Corona 2020 time we're living in. I'm also bringing about the Randy Report. You know, our good friend Randy Slavacek out there in Las Vegas does an amazing LGBT news wrap-up um, every week and every day on his Randy Report blog. Does some great LGBT news on there. So I'm going to bring his show back on Wednesdays and a couple more surprises down the line. So just to kind of give you an idea where I'm at between now and next week, I have 20 interviews lined up. That's like unheard of for me. I'm sometimes trying to find people for the following week, but 20 interviews, I usually do four shows a week, two on Mondays and two on Tuesdays during our shows, but I have 20 of them lined up and that would take four weeks. I try to make the interviews as timely as possible when I do them. So uh, it's, yeah, we're going to go to five days a week starting next week. Some great people ahead. Um, James Duke Mason, he's the son of Belinda Carlisle. He ran for a um, West Hollywood City Council. He does his own great new YouTube interview show now. Uh, have Billy Cliff coming back and Fernando Rivera, two great friends, Tommy Grassi, doing an interview with Carson Jones. He is the son of Doug Jones 
the only Democratic senator in Alabama and the first Democratic senator there in a very long time. And uh, Carson does his own advocacy work and is a zookeeper, so he has an interesting story to tell. Uh, Fred Carger, who was the very first openly gay man to run for president. Paul Richmond, my buddy, is an artist, has some amazing masks. When we have to wear masks out in person now, if you go to his website, paulrichmondstudio.com, he has these great masks made of artwork that he has created, that he has painted. One of them is Cher, which is absolutely out of this world. Joshua Conkle, who's written for the Sabrina, um, New Adventures of Sabrina, is going to be on. I have some musicians coming on. Hopefully I have Jonathan Bennett coming on, great actor, and he's a triple threat. He's a foodie. He has his own cookbook. He hosts all the Cupcake Wars and things on Food Network, uh, as well as an actor and a host and just so many so many great things. So he'll be on. And Rachel Mason, who's done an amazing documentary about the circus of books in West Hollywood. So I have so many interviews coming up, guys. So look at next week. We're going to start five days a week during Corona 2020. But let's get to it. Thanks for listening. Please, like I said, subscribe to all your favorite podcasts. Uh, or if you keep listening live, I do appreciate that as well right here on Blog Talk Radio. We're going to jump into our first interview today with Michael Verratti. Uh, a great interview. First time talking to him. He's kind of been a friend adjacent to the show. A lot of good buddies that have been on the show and bonded right away. He actually grew up in parts of here in uh, Western Pennsylvania and Northeast Ohio area, went to school, Kent State, not too far from us. So we had a great interview. We're going to start with him. And then for the second half, we're going to do Adam Rothenberger from Call Me Adam. So let's uh, start with a little song. Let's do a little Save Me by Jay Knight. And on the other side, we're going to be talking to the fantastic writer, actor, producer, everything, Mr. Michael Verratti. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. I'll be back in between interviews, guys. Bye-bye. Never 
We are back. That was our good friend Jay Knight with Save Me. Guys, I'm so excited to have my next guest on the show for the very first time. I've been familiar with his work for quite a while. He's worked with some of my favorite guests on the show, like Ben Bauer and Billy Cliff. He's known primarily for his work in the horror genre, but he's changed it up the last couple years in a totally different direction, going, my favorite Christmas movies, you know me. Although us gays always have a little uh, horror and family drama around the holidays, right? Anyway, he's a prolific writer, director, producer, and actor. And I'm so happy to welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time. Please welcome the handsome and talented Mr. Michael Varadi. Michael, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. It is my pleasure. I'm glad we get to talk. I have, like I said, you've been on the periphery working with some great friends of mine, and it's great to finally get to talk to you. How's everything in the beautiful, sunny L.A. in our wild and crazy um, Corona 2020 times? Uh, it's it's unusual, and I think that's probably true of everywhere. Uh, you know, like everybody else, I'm staying in 99% of the time, but I do go out and get a little walk into my neighborhood for exercise. Because I live in uh, L.A. Is, is, if people aren't familiar, while it's a major metropolitan city, it is very spread out. So there are a lot of, like, residential pocket neighborhoods. And uh, I live in Studio City, uh, and there's a, it's, it's kind of residential, so when I walk take my walks, I don't really encounter a lot of other people if I don't go on any of the main thoroughfares. And it, right. it's, it's just sort of strange because it, LA is really known for traffic. And right now there is none. And that's the biggest telltale sign that our, our city is under lockdown and we're in this weird kind of science fiction era. Uh, I'm doing as best I can. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say... I, it's like the greatest time, but I'm a writer uh, and a lot of the work that I do if I'm not on set or I'm not producing is by myself anyway. So I've sort of just used the time to really focus and uh, create some new content and uh, try and write some things and, and dig out some old ideas and give life to those. So 
Um, I've probably been throwing myself into work a little too much, but it's it's been good, I guess. <laughs> the alternative is to sit and eat everything in the refrigerator like I'm doing. So uh, good on you for doing the writing. I'm, I'm more <laughs> impressed with your with your choice there. Very, very cool. Well, like I said, I'm so excited to have you on. But since it is your first time, let's do a little bit of background for the listeners to know out there. Start with telling me where did you grow up, what kind of a kid were you, and what you want to be when you grew up? Um, well, I always say that like Nomi Malone, I grew up in different places. Uh, and that's true. <laughs> uh, we, we moved a lot when I was growing up. My parents were both in the world of education and uh, they moved a lot as their uh, jobs and uh, interests and passions took them to different places. Uh, I was born in New Mexico. I spent some time in Arizona as a kid. We lived in Colorado, which was the bulk of my elementary years. And then we moved to Western Pennsylvania, where I went to high school. Uh, and then I went to college in Ohio. Uh, I, I moved to Pittsburgh after college and then uh, ended up on the West Coast again. Uh, so I've been a little bit of everywhere, and I've taken a little bit of all of my experiences uh, and, and woven them into my work. And also, it just is, is the makeup of my life. A lot of people ask me if I regret moving so much and I don't like I got to see and experience a lot of different people and cultures uh, within our own country here and I think it really gave me a, a really cool ex uh, perspective on things and it just kind of felt like a, a childhood of adventure so I am very grateful for the kind of transitory experience that I had um, as far as what kind of kid I was I always loved uh, storytelling and uh, in reading and, and things like that. And I, I freely admit that I was very much a, uh, like a scaredy cat when <laughs> I was young. Everything scared me. Um, my parents will, will love to tell the story about how if the music would get a little like suspenseful in a program, I would run over and turn the TV off because I didn't want to see what was about to happen. So like these, oh, you know, my, my poor mom and dad are just, uh, you know, trying to watch TV and I'm like, no, click. Um, but then uh, when I was probably, uh, eight or nine, I can't quite recall my age. Uh, there was a, sh a program on USA network called USA up all night. And what they would do is they would show two cults, exploitation, horror, B movies, or like camp movies on Friday and Saturday night. And it was hosted by this woman named Rhonda Shear. And, uh, I used to read TV guide, uh, because that was back in the day where you had to, to know what was going on. <laughs> and I remember there was a TV guide listing for this USA up all night, double feature of this movie called attack of the killer tomatoes. And in my little mind, that was like the, the coolest and craziest thing. And I was just like, what's that mean? Killer tomatoes. What? And I, I harangued my mom. I was like, I want to watch this. I want to stay up and I want to see it. And, um, she, you know, obviously concerned that like all these other things had been terrifying me for so long was, was kind of reticent, but my parents were super hip. They never tried to police what I watched. They, it was more like, you know, if, if I watch it, let's, let's have a conversation about it. And she was like, okay, I will let you watch this, but I'm going to stay up and watch it with you. And so oh, nice. it was Friday night, you know, we sat down to watch this movie and she she fell asleep like 15 minutes in, and I was riveted. <laughs> and it, they did. It was a double feature of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. And as my mom slept on the couch, I watched them both. 
Uh, and then how it used to, how they used to do it was once the show ended, they would just show the movies that they aired that night again. Like I think a few times back to back till morning. And I, I, I must've sat and watched both of those movies at least twice through that night. Um, and the next morning it was like a rebirth because these were not the kind of movies that I had seen at the multiplex. You know, these were not, you know, the commercial movies that were, were being peddled on TV. And suddenly right. I became aware that there was this other kind of cinema out there. And uh, I wanted to know about that. I was like, this is cool. It seems a little naughty. It seems like something I shouldn't <laughs> be seeing. And I was very compelled by that. And so my, my foray into the world of horror and how I eventually conquered it but sort of this obsession with the idea of seeing things that were, were deemed inappropriate for the mainstream or like off the beaten path and how that felt exciting. And so I went from being afraid of those things to being obsessed with those things. And I, I, you know, I do know that Killer Tomatoes was ultimately a horror comedy and not like hard horror, but it was a great gateway right. for me to then start looking at those other things. So I had that obsession pretty early on. I was interested in storytelling. Ironically, when I was a kid, I think I thought I was going to be a cartoonist because I used to like to draw. And then, mm. uh, and I loved comic books, but that just really didn't manifest. I think I, I liked the drawing as, a, as an avenue for telling stories. And I eventually left the, the drawing kind of like fall away and I kept the stories. And I wrote stories all throughout my, my, young, my young years and in my teenage years. I would just sit and write like a couple page stories for myself or for friends. And uh, then I went to college and, and majored in English, which, of course, is very like, you know, literature driven. So, uh, nice. yeah, it's, it's sort of all a big kind of maelstrom of, of stuff. Very, very cool. I love that. I was wondering, the irony was just so rich when you were saying scaredy cat and knowing what we were going to talk about here. So I love that story. And I like that you're from our area. That's another thing we have in common here. Whereabouts in Western Pennsylvania did you grow up or go to high school, I mean? I went to high school in a uh, town uh, called Foxburg, and it was this school that was it, – it, 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 was a high school that kind of brought together uh, kids from like multiple communities. It was called the Allegheny Clarion Valley. Uh, and there were like four, four or five different towns where all of the, the kids went to this one particular high school. It's about uh, 20 minutes away from the, the city of Clarion, which is, is on the Allegheny river. It was a very small right. town, kind of idyllic Western Pennsylvania sort of, sort of thing, you know, surrounded by forests. Uh, it would actually be a great setting for a horror movie. Uh, itself <laughs> i like it that's very cool yeah i've been ban- like i told you off air i've been banished here in northeast ohio for about 20 years now so i'm very familiar with the area and youngstown where i was a couple miles away from me is the old still town and we have so many old steel mills and a lot of old still stuck in the 60s and it's a great they do a lot of we have horror fest twice a year here there's a lot of great horror films being shot here so i'm going to have to have you do some location scouting back in your old neck of the woods here uh, oh, i would love that it's definitely nice. well there's uh, there's a I'm filmmaker uh friend of mine chelsea stardust who made the movie satanic panic as well as she did one of uh, blumhouse's hulu movies uh her movie's called all that we destroy uh she's also from ohio and um, we're very dear friends and we get together uh, all the time and we talk about how there is something to be said about uh, returning to that area and making a movie. So it is definitely something we discuss. 
nice. Well, we have an extra bedroom here, so come on out anytime, and we will uh, we will give you the grand tour one once again of your old stomping grounds here. Now, Taco, well, you also you. went. Like you said you went to college here. And I saw that over at Kent State, which isn't too far, and I hang out there quite a bit. I have a lot of friends that I have two friends that teach there actually, and I've met quite a few people over there. You did both writing and acting there. Talk about that a bit. Yeah, um, I had originally gone to Kent for broadcast journalism, and uh, I was still in the broadcast journalism program when 9/11 happened, and I just felt very overwhelmed by being involved in the spin of news at that moment. And even though I knew I liked writing, that was not something that I, I was really connecting with. And I and in that moment, I really you know it, it, during that semester, I had kind of a lot of hard. Uh, conversations with myself about what path I wanted my writing to take. And I realized, Mm. you know, it it went back to childhood and that love of crafting a story and uh, using a story as escapism or confrontation and and the power that has. And I was just like, you know what, I think that maybe instead of this kind of writing, I need to be doing this kind of writing. And I switched paths into the English major Uh, and I studied English literature uh, and, and that was a, a big bulk of what I did, where I spent a lot of time with, uh, you know, classic lit and uh, international literature and kind of the analysis and the understanding of, of, of things, uh, but also a lot of writing classes that just really helped focus, not, not to write to an academic standard, but like find how best to utilize your own voice. And those were, um, those were very uh, important to me. Um, and it was, it was a really kind of big portion of, of what I did, because obviously it was my major. But also at the same time, uh, Kent had a uh, cable access TV network back in the era where right. like, those, those kind of things existed. And um, myself and a few other ragtag people kind of were like, look, we would love to have a show on this. If um, because they would use it for the campus news, and then that that was kind of about it. And like they did let people uh, shoot shows, and you would just have to kind of sign up for a slot. And uh, I I united with um, this other creator, Brian uh, Smith, who is now an actor here out in LA. Uh, it's funny that we both ended up in the industry, uh, and and both are working pretty steadily. Uh, Brian recently was on the L word, uh, as well as queen sugar. And it's always like cool to run into him, but we, we had a, a cable access show together called the preview. And, uh, it was just us doing like wacky takes on the, on the news and like sketch comedy and, and like a lot of stuff inspired by weirdo movies that we liked. And, uh, I really enjoyed that. And like, that was sort of how I first kind of began to learn production and how to produce as well as, um, doing things for for camera. Uh, I will freely admit that acting for the camera was not something that I, I had really set out to do. And it's still something, even though I've done a lot of acting, it's something that I, I usually don't seek out as much as the other things. But that sh- as anybody who makes indie projects or low budget projects knows, you kind of have to rely on all the resources you have. We were a small crew with zero money. And so it was like the people that we had were also the people that were going to be in the show. So I also just, I signed up for an acting for the camera class uh, to just be kind of like 
better than I was I was at the time, like because I wasn't necessarily <laughs> f- fully prepared right. for it. And, and the class was taught by this really cool guy, uh, Ron Thomas, who had like some horror connections himself. He was in Innocent Blood, uh, directed by John Landis, and The Dark Half by uh, George Romero. And so as a horror nerd, I, I clocked that right away. And I did two two semesters of acting for the, the camera with Ron. And uh, I'm not claiming to be Laurence Olivier. Like, I think that my acting... <laughs> My acting style is is more like Bruce Campbell uh, on on a lot of caffeine. Um, but <laughs> things that I learned from Ron, I still apply not not just in performance, but in directing other actors. Like how I learned how to prepare a scene is how when I'm on set directing people, some of those those little kernels of lessons I still apply to to the work I do today. So I'm very grateful for that. I love that. That's actually one of my questions, too. I mean, talking about your work, you're so prolific at all of it, writing, acting, directing, and producing. What primarily draws you behind the camera, and what does it take to interest you to be in front of the camera again? Uh, to be in, the, in front of the camera again, I'll answer that question first. It's really just kind of if somebody asks, and I think that it's cool, Um because, like I said, that was not something that I ever, like, fully sought out, but I have been fortunate enough to have um, fallen into some really cool roles into movies that have been, in like, indie and cult kind of subculture favorites. Like, I, I, I was in uh, Return to Return to Nukem High, a.k.a. Volume 2, or I did a role in, uh, in a movie, Yeti Life on the Streets. It's like a Yeti movie uh, that I had a blast making. But I, I think being an actor is really tough, and it's something that I, uh, I I really have a lot of empathy for. I'm not into the world of auditions, and that's not something that I really want to go and do. But, you know, sure. horror is a small community, uh, and we all kind of know each other after doing this for a while. And if someone calls and is like, hey, you know, we want you to be attacked by a zombie in our movie, and it's like a dear friend, or it's like something that excites me when I read it, I'm not opposed to going to do it. I just don't spend time seeking those out anymore. Gotcha. But as far as, as, as writing and directing, uh, it's, you know, whatever excites me story-wise, like in terms of my personal projects, I'm very motivated uh, by the power of horror um, and how when, when used in a certain way, horror can really say things that we may not be able to in the mainstream. And I get very excited by, by just what that means. Um, one thing that has been a very big focus of my career for almost the entire time I've been a professional work, working writer in, in the genre is I've been very interested in um, the intersection of queer identity and horror. Because horror, by its very definition, is the genre of otherness. And who understands otherness better than queer people? So I, I really like to utilize that to tell queer stories. And so queer horror is, is both a niche that I've, I've, I've situated myself in, but also something that's so vastly important to me that that's the world I, I want to live in. And, and a lot of my personal work that is outside of, you know, the TV writing uh, that I do is rooted in that, whether it's about, you know, the the kind of territorialism that exists between gay men and how we shouldn't treat each other that way or 
you know, just kind of, you know, the dubious nature of, of on, online apps, you know, dating apps or something. I, I like to explore those things using the horror lens because a lot of times in gay cinema, we don't like to look at the darker aspects of our community. And I, I think that part of, part of making art is, is, is looking at the darker aspects and saying, why not? Why are we not looking at this? I love that. That is so well said. And you've been a huge advocate for our LGBTQ community and, and a lot of that work. Talk to me about when you first came out to yourself and the first time that you kind of felt like you fit into the LGBTQ community. Uh, I came out like, I think that I realized it fully when I was in my late teens, like 18. I mean, like you always kind of know, but it's easy to deny it to yourself and ignore it to yourself. Um, But when I think I I fully embraced it was when I went off to college and just kind of realized, all right, this is a thing and this is the truth. And I didn't not feel accepted when I first came out, but it, it took a while to find that community. Uh, You know, the campus did have its LGBTQ organization and that was fine, but it was more just, connecting with people who had similar interests. You know, when I found like, oh, there are other gay people who like trashy horror movies and there are other gay people who um, love Stephen King novels. And, and it, it was sort of a slow thing. And, you know, the, the online landscape helped that. I, you know, uh, at, the, at the time, there was not a lot of discussion of queer crossover in genre but there were a few, like there were, there were sites. Uh, there was a site called Camp Blood, which was all about um, horror from a, a, a gay lens. And that was so cool to discover. And I remember uh, Sean right. Abley w- was writing a column in the back pages of Fangoria called Gay of the Dead. That like, you know, for me, it was like, this is cool. Like Fangoria is the Bible for horror nerds. And to see that they're right. giving space to this. Uh, or Jeffrey McCran had had and has a blog called Faggoty Ass Horror, and I loved how transgressive that title was, and how he was using that like kind of shock factor to pull you in and be like, okay, are you shocked? Well, now let's talk about it. And so those those kind of works were tra- were foundational to me steering towards my people. And then when I was entering the community and writing, telling people, telling editors and producers uh, what I wanted to do, I was like well, this is the space I want to be in and I want to, I want to amplify it. And, you know, these right now feel niche, but let's make them not niche. Like it's a roar. Let's get loud. That was kind of always my mission. Very, very cool. I do love that. That's fantastic. Let's talk about some of your work. You've been, like I said, so prolific in a lot of things, both episodic and standalone. Do you have a preference? Um, does one come easier to you? Do you like the consistency of Epic or do you like the the kind of uh, individuality of a made-for-TV or just a regular movie? Um, there is something exciting about episodic because episodic is long-form storytelling, right? You know, because sure. you can evolve a character over time, um, who they are when we start as opposed to who they are when they end is a journey that the audience gets to go on. And that journey is, it feels more natural and, and believable because in a movie we maybe get 90 minutes, right? 
But then, like, you look at something, I'll use Buffy the Vampire Slayer, since it's such a popular cited show, uh, especially in terms of character evolution. If you look at the character of Willow in the pilot of the show, who's like this mousy, nerdy girl who barely can, like, look someone in the eye, and then seven years later, she is this powerful witch who literally changes the world and, you know, woe be to everybody else who dares put her down. I think that, and it felt so natural over the point of that show. And from a writing perspective, that's super exciting. Of course, with episodic, though, you're usually working with other writers. So I, I, what I would say is that it's just usually based on who you're collaborating with and, and how that collaboration works. I've been in writer's rooms where it felt like the Avengers. It's like, oh, my God, we're all together and we're making something great because with our powers combined, we're going to tell the most badass story. And then other times you're just kind of like, not clicking. It's like, it's like any chemistry that you have in any relationship, some things work and some things don't. Um, I do write a lot on my own and um, there is, there is a power and an autonomy in writing a feature script though, too, because you know, from the beginning to the end, you are executing the vision that you want. So I like them both, but I like them both for different reasons. Gotcha. Very, very good. Very well, very well said. All right, and talk about, I mean, you have your own production company a bit, but you do some great collaborating work with other content creators like Ben we talked about earlier. What are you looking for in partners? What interests you? What makes a good collaboration for you? Um, well, it all starts with an idea. Uh, I think that it starts with an idea because from the seed of an idea, a story grows. And if you can bring a story to me or we can create a story together that we're both excited to cultivate uh, and curate into existence, then that's, that's the first step. But I also think in the world of collaboration, um, it's sort of like I just said when I was referring to episodic, but this is true all around. Uh, when you're in the world of entertainment, part of your journey is finding your people. And sometimes that means you will collaborate or work with people that it, it, it's great, but like, it's not, it's not quite what you're looking for. And, and so there is a trial and error until you find, you find your people, because when you do, you can feel it. There's a, there's a thing like, Oh, this is, this is an artistic kindred. And um, once you do, those are the people you want to keep working with. Um, my production partner, Brandon Kirby and I were, we created June gloom productions, which you alluded to. And, Brandon and I uh, were friends, but I, I first started working with him as a producer on a, a series that he created called I'm Fine. Uh, and I worked as a producer on, on the final two seasons of that show, as well as one of its writers. And it was very clear when I first stepped on that set that the, we had a creative chemistry. And I, it was, it's sort of like, you know, you know, you, it, it's, it's such a, it's like a Nancy Meyer rom-com thing, but you know when you know. And I was like, I want to be making stuff with him. And we sat nice. down and we, after that show ended, we just kept finding stuff to make together. And then at one point it was like, well, we keep doing this, so why don't we make it official? And we created a company. And our, our, our mission statement literally is the ethos of, of everything that we both want to see in films. It's, it's the, the creation and curation of queer horror and queer social commentary pieces. And it's not just movies that he or I write and direct, but it's also things that when other artists come to us looking for help to make something, um, 
does it fit that? And are we excited by the idea and the story that they're trying to tell? And if so, we want to help them make it. And, you know, you mentioned my, my collaboration with Ben. Um, that's, that's how I feel about Ben too. You know, when Ben and I knew each other socially, but one day we just started talking about something and, uh, it was it. It clicked. Like I love, I love writing for him and I love working with him and helping him make his things. There's just, um, there's just a synergy there. I love your passion with that. That is so great. Um, talk about, you've done such, like I said, we've done such diverse work as far as your producing, writing and everything. If someone was to want to go and find out um, more about who Michael Verratti is, as a creator, what two or three projects would you send them to first? Uh, well, I think that it's, it's so tough because they're all like my children uh, in a very different way. Um, I think for a good idea of what we do at June Gloom, as well as like what my mission statement is, uh, I have a short film that I wrote and directed that was based on a concept of Ben's uh, called The Office is Mine, uh, that is all about a gay guy who work, is the only gay in his office, and that's his cachet and what makes him feel special and popular in the workplace. And all that comes crashing down when uh, the, the higher-ups bring in a new, a new employee who is also a gay guy, and he feels threatened by that, and how it, it, it causes him to sort of descend into this kind of crazy state because he feels like if I'm, if I'm not this, then who am I? And uh, that piece is, is satirical, yes, but it's also um, social commentary about how gay men often compete with each other when we should actually be raising one another up. And, and that stars Ben and uh, Chris Salvatore from the Eating Out movies, uh, Navarra Starson from the other two. Uh, and then a dear friend of mine, Sarah Nicklin, who is a, a known quantity in the world of horror, uh, and Felicia Wissa from uh, Santa Clarita Diet. It's a super cast. Uh, it, it's, it's still traveling around the festival circuit, um, and we're very proud of it because it's, it's a really big um, kind of definitive piece for the kind of work that we like to do. Um, the other thing, if you're interested in the intersection of, of horror and queer identity, not a film, but one of my biggest undertakings uh, is is my show, Dead for Filth. It's a, a streaming radio podcast, uh, and, and that's based on years of me working with different creators who have these, these connections to horror and uh, how I kept running into the fact that there was this queer connection to it. And I wanted to create a show where I sat with someone every week and just explored their story and preserved their history because I think in the LGBTQ community, preserving our history is important in all, in all circles. And Dead for Filth right. has been a, uh, a, a undertaking where I sit with somebody, um, and like the, Jeffrey Reddick, the creator of Final Destination, or Alaska from Drag Race, or um, Veronica Cartwright, who was in The Birds, which is a Eastwick, and Alien, and, you know, uh, and, and many, many other prolific and, and amazing people in between. And I just talk to them and, and hear about their connections to our world and, and what that means. And uh, there's over 90 episodes of that, and I'm very proud of, of that work and, and helping to preserve those stories. So I, I would like to steer people towards that as well. Um, 
Oh gosh. And then one more, what, what else would I suggest to people? Uh, you know, I, I'm really quite fond of a Halloween trick, which also stars Ben. It's a, it's a Halloween horror short we did where, uh, Ben just plays a rude neighbor who runs afoul <laughs> of um, the woman next door played by uh, horror icon Tiffany Shepis and um, how that kind of goes wrong with him when the wrong, when the wrong guy comes and knocking at his door. And I'm, I, I just really love, cause to me, it was sort of a throwback to eighties horror movies. Um, the message in that is a little lighter than in some of the other ones, but it's a lot of fun and I had a great time making it. Nice. I'm so glad you did talk about the podcast because I, I definitely want to bring that up. I think, uh, I mean, it, it's often referred to as some of the top uh, top ten podcasts of the time, and you do fantastic work for it. So that is definitely something that I recommend highly as a podcaster myself. Um, I love your style on it, and uh, we'll definitely have a link to it in the uh, down here in, in the description of our show here. But very, very cool. Um, last thing is about horror we'll talk about before I transition into these Christmas shows. You do a lot of great panels at these Comic-Cons and things. Talk about that and what that's like to interact with the people uh, at those things. Uh, I love live events. And honestly, Dead for Filth, I, I will say, came out of those. So I had been writing about... Uh, the intersection of horror and queer identity for a long time, uh, both academically and in pop culture publications. So I did like, you know, a lot of, of, of pieces on that for various platforms um, early on. And that sort of garnered an audience for, for me as someone who was interested in this topic. And uh I had initially been asked to be a panelist on a queer horror panel at Comic-Con. And then the original host was unable to keep that going. And I assumed the role of host at the San Diego Comic-Con International, where I uh, every year would bring together six or seven artists in the, in the world of horror to come and talk about this, this topic. And we've had so many cool people come over the years, like Brian Fuller, who was the executive producer of Hannibal and creator of Pushing Daisies, or uh, uh, Gwen, Guinevere Turner, who wrote the screenplay for American Psycho, or Mark Patton from Nightmare 2. And the conversation was always really exciting and riveting. And it ended so quickly because, you know, you get one hour a year with seven amazing people. So when Dead for Filth was born, it was, it was literally born out of these panels because I thought I get one hour a year with six people. What if I get one hour a week with one person? And that's where Dead for Filth came from. But the Comic-Con panel was sort of the juggernaut because those conversations really inspired me to keep pushing these conversations. And it led to me going to other shows, and, you know, whether it was WonderCon or RuPaul's DragCon. Uh, and I've done college talks on, on the issue. And it, it, it's really cool to do these live events because in, inevitably there's always someone in the audience who starts looking at the material in a different way. Because we as creators who are tapping into this connection, we already know this. But for people who are like passively watching these things, they may not realize that you know, these movies have this subtext. You might watch Fright Night at Home right. and think it's about vampires and then realize when someone points out to you, well, Fright Night also has a lot of homo 
erotic subtext, and here's why. And, like, what's really fun and cool has been having people come up after these, these panels and say, I never looked at it this way, or this is exciting. I can't wait to go home and watch this movie that I've been watching for years with new eyes. Or then people bring in questions that, like, we've never heard before. Or, like, you know, how, and I, you know, people then want to further that discussion. How does horror, um, you know, speak to trans issues? Like, or, you know, how did horror change during the AIDS crisis? Like, we, we've touched on these topics and addressed these issues and had these issues brought to us. And, and that happens in a live space because it's so organic that the conversation is flowing right in front of you. And that's exciting. That is great. I love all of that. That is so cool. Well, let's wrap up with um, your foray into these Christmas movies. I am a Christmas movie aficionado. How did this <laughs> crossover begin? And, and talk about this. It's, it's a little bit of a juxtaposition from horror to, uh, to Christmas movie. Well, honestly, it's funny because I get asked about this a lot, and I tell people it's actually less of a juxtaposition than you would think because um, at the end of the day, they're both in their way cult films because the audience comes to them with a set of expectations, and uh, it's just that those expectations are different. And there is sometimes often a formula or, like, you know, a, a community that exists around them. Uh, and it's actually because of horror that I ended up doing the Christmas movies. Um, a friend of mine, Brian Nolan, who is a producer at a company called Hybrid that makes a lot of Hallmark and Lifetime movies, he had, he had started as an actor. He was on a, a gay vampire show called The Lair that was on the Here Network for a few years before becoming a producer. And he was aware of some of the uh, feature films that I had written in the indie space. And they... At, at the around this point that he had reached out to me, um, they had been contracted to do four Christmas movies, but needed a fifth. And he was like, who do I know that can write a movie quickly and to a specific budget point? And who knows better to do that than people from the world of indie horror? Cause we have to create like miracles out of nothing all the time. And he called right. me and, was like, that. and he was like, Hey, is this something that you think you would want to do? And I was like, sure. And so I talked to the producers and they were like, we're looking for a movie that would be about Christmas cookies. That was kind of like really all I got. And um, <laughs> I was like, all right. So like I, I came up with a few ideas. We picked the one that worked and then I was off and writing. And that first movie became uh, a Christmas reunion starring Denise Richards and Patrick Muldoon uh, and Jake Busey and Catherine Hicks. And uh, that's when I was first really exposed to how popular and wildly, uh, you know, passionate people are about these holiday films. And uh, that movie still plays on TV every year. It's kind of wild to see that it's kind of a, a perennial favorite. And from there, I went on to uh, do uh, A Christmas in Vermont with Abigail Hawk and Chevy Chase and Morgan Fairchild. I created the story for a movie called Broadcasting Christmas that was written by a playwright, uh, Topher Payne. They're fun. And I, you know, it's, it's crazy because uh, everything in my world has a lot of intersection, even though it doesn't feel like it should. And when I do these events like Comic-Con, um, it's, I'll be at the table and some, somebody might come up to me, this like, you know, punk rock kid. And they're like, I really liked your demon nun movie, Flesh for the Inferno. And they like want a poster or whatever, but his like mom's with him. 
And the mom is like, I love the Christmas reunion. And it's just kind of crazy to know that, like, oh, wild. <laughs> my work has reached different people. Uh, a lot of times, too, um, unless we have an express conversation about it, the communities are not always aware of each other. So horror fans don't always know that the guy who's doing the Christmas movies is me. And the Christmas movie people don't always know that the guy who's doing the horror movies is me. So it's sort of fun to live a little double life. But the world of TV <laughs> movies is very, um, is very small. So, you know, my work in those TV movies led to me doing other TV movies. Like I wrote uh, a killer stepmom movie with Vivica Fox and Cindy Busby called the wrong stepmother, which, which uh, I'm very proud of and ended up being, a very, very popular Lifetime movie. Uh, and I and I did a, a killer nanny movie called The Twisted Nanny. Uh, and those I wrote as if they were horror movies because uh, Lifetime thrillers often do have a horror movie quality to them. But those were born out of my work in the world of Christmas movies. So everything's sort of incestuous. And I will say, <laughs> before I, I wrap up this huge monologue about this, there are a lot of horror creators who do Christmas movies. It's just like, it's a strange little pocket of us that, that all do this. Uh, Fred Olin Ray, who a, a, was a big horror director in the 80s, David Dakota, who similarly, similarly uh, they all direct Christmas movies now. Sam Irvin, who directed Elvira's second film, directs a lot of Christmas movies. Ron Oliver, who directed Prom Night 2, uh, does a lot of Christmas movies. It's wild. It's wild. We're, the little spooky kids are also the seasonal kids, so... <laughs> I love it. Well, it's so cool. Like you said, it's something that you wouldn't imagine in your head until you kind of let it say like that, and it, and it makes sense. But I, I was just wondering what it's like, because it's very formulaic. Every year it's kind of the same thing, different characters. They even use the same actors most of the time. So it, it's kind of fun to have that. Uh, it makes it feel like it's a family-type style, and it's kind of fun that you're part of both those worlds. Very cool, yeah, my you- friend. You know what's really special about the Christmas movies, and I, I will say this, is that I remember when I wrote the first one, the producer that I worked with uh, on that, Jeff Shank, and I, I always like to give him credit when, when this comes up, but Jeff said, he was like, this movie will be seen by more people than anything else you ever work on, which are, you know, at the time you feel like is like, oh, that's wild to think about, and how could that be true? But when you write a Christmas movie, they end up playing annually because people embrace them. And this thing that you created in its own small way becomes part of other people's holiday traditions. And so it may not all be at once, but then what happens is someone's like, I love a Christmas reunion. And then every Christmas they watch it and then they pass that on to other people who maybe watch it with them. And it's just weird and strange and kind of very humbling to know that this thing I made is part of someone else's holiday. And that, that's, that means a lot. So. Well, it is part of mine, my friend, because like I said, I, I watch these every year and it's, it's nice from an entertainment perspective as well, because it's a very cottage industry. You do see a lot of the same actors and they're so prolific making so many of them each year that I know that it's helping fellow actors, fellow writers, fellow crew. So that's kind of a great part of it. And it's just feel good movies. So, so well said, I like that. Very, very well, thank cool. You, thank you. All right. So what happens next here? Uh, we get out of Corona 2020 and what's next on the plate? Anything that you're going to go to right away, or is everything kind of now have a weird schedule involved, or what's what's looking ahead for you? Well, so um, 
Um, I know when Ben was on, he talked about his directorial debut, Yours, Mine, Ours, which uh, I produce with my co-producer, Brandon Kirby, and with Ben. Uh, and that's going to hit the festival circuit. Um, also in the can and being edited right now, I was an executive producer as well as an interview subject on a queer horror documentary that will be debuting in Shutter, on Shutter later this year. Uh, that's all about the history of queer horror, and that's directed by a filmmaker named Sam Weinman. Lots of really cool people were interviewed for that. Um, and then as for me, uh, I have written two back-to-back -back thrillers for Lifetime, which I know will be probably shot the second we come out of this because they're ready to go, and they are, uh, they are very committed to making them. Uh, right. Ben and I continue to collaborate on things. We might even be working on a few little things now that I'm not quite ready to talk about. And uh, I have, I've teased this a little bit, but I also have written a feature film uh, that I do intend on directing within the next year. Um, and we are allegedly full steam ahead on that, you know, provided the world and health and safety uh, allow. Well, congratulations. That sounds fantastic. Michael Verratti, it's been amazing to have you on the show. Where can all my listeners follow you at? Do you have a social media website? What's the best place to, to get a hold of you or follow you? Uh, the best place to follow me is on Twitter. It's uh, My handle is my name. It's at Michael Verratti. That's V as in Victor, A-R-R-A-T-I. I'm also on Instagram, same same thing there. Uh, and if you're interested in Dead for Filth, uh, we are on Twitter at Dead for Filth, uh, as well as wherever podcasts can be found. Super duper. Well, as I said, it's been a treat talking to you, my friend. Please hold on the line. We are going to do a special five questions, Michael Verratti. Be sure to look for that extra bonus episode you're listening to the left of straight show right here on left of straight radio network thank you michael
got me feeling lonely I can never feel the warmth I'm still out in the cold can never leave a room with you still in it And it's torturing me That I have fell up before But I have never in my life Ever been this short I'm just trying to keep this holy Leave the rest to destiny Yeah I want to travel around your world I want to pick me up some light Some light for me I want to travel guys and gals we are back that was our buddy matt stern with travel around your world guys get ready we're going to do my next interview now with the fantastic adam rothenberg from the call me adam uh, new york city blog and podcast now as i said earlier i have so many pre-tape interviews that i actually did this with adam i think it's been a week and a half now ago so we were talking about a lot of streaming shows we're excited about uh, because there is so much great streaming content, but those are already out of whack because we're a week and a half later. But uh, we just there's so much great streaming out there, so I just wanted to bring that up. It was a great interview with Adam, though. We're going to try to put together a regular segment with Adam coming up very soon. Him and I are getting into that. So I'm excited to bring that with that little New York feel that Adam brings to the show. Also. Stick around and listen at the very end carefully because we're going to talk about a hashtag I want you guys to get trending, and we'll tease it with this. It's going to be hashtag pinball with Patty, and I'll leave that to your imagination. So let's go ahead, uh, listen to the end for that, and we will talk about that on social media tonight and tomorrow. Let's uh, go ahead and get into it. We're going to play a little bit of Soldier by Billy Gilman. And as soon as that's over on the other side, we're going to talk to the amazing Adam Rothenberg from Call Me Adam. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Love is in battle. We build this tower, this tower of Babel, the sabers may rattle. But I'm only fighting for you. You're my obsession, my love of my rival This song is a lesson, these words are survival And I'm never letting you go I'ma keep fighting Aren't forsaken 
intriguing, so baby, stop playing. Cause I won't be waving the white. If you're not gonna walk it, then baby, don't talk it. Your words are like bullets, but I'm wearing armor and I'm never letting you go. I'ma keep fighting. I'll be standing right here in the mess that we made Cause I'm never gonna, no, I'm never gonna let you go Some battles are won and some battles are lost But you live with the pain cause there's always a cost But I'm never gonna, no, I'm never gonna let you go Cause baby, I'm a soldier, soldier Baby, I'm a soldier, soldier Baby, I'm a soldier That was Billy Gilman with his newest single, Soldier. Guys, it's been a hot minute since I've had the pleasure of talking with my next guest. I had him on a couple seasons ago now to talk about our mutual love of Broadway and all things entertainment. He's been doing this for about 12 years now, where this fifth season of Left of Straight Show is just this little babe in the woods. But he's still younger and more beautiful than I am, which really pisses me off. He's done it all from interviewing celebrities and personalities from all walks of entertainment to hosting his own podcast and video series. As part of Corona 2020, he started a new video series to see how some of your favorite peeps are handling staying at home. I'm so excited to talk to him again. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Call Me Adam himself, Adam Rothenberg. Adam, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Scott. It's so great to be back on your show. Thank you for having me. It's been way too long, my friend. I mean, we chat on social media from time to time. We follow each other, of course, but uh, it's good to hear your voice, my friend. Good to hear yours. It has been it has been a while and uh, definitely way too long since we've had a real in-person chat like this. For sure. Well, you know, I'm a huge Broadway fan, especially, and all things entertainment like you, and you've had some amazing interviews over the years, and recently, it's like I've been jealous hell, all the great people you're talking to. But let's talk for a second about these crazy times we're in. How are you? You're keeping healthy. Um, tell me about how everything's going for you. Yes, I'm, sta- I'm staying healthy, staying in, except for the occasional trip to the grocery store uh, or, right. the, or the Starbucks drive-thru, because I still, I still like to 
I, I still want to indulge in something, and it's a good way to get out of the house, but not really right. have to be around people. So, and I make sure to wipe the cup down before I actually drink from it. So, I'm taking all precautions necessary, um, primarily staying in. And fortunately, for me, I've been able to continue to conduct interviews, although it is a, a slightly different way than I'm used to, similar to us talking over the over the phone now. I'm recording my podcast interviews through my computer as opposed to being in this recording studio. Right, right. A lot different. I mean, I've, I've used this format because being banished to Northeast Ohio, I'm not near the epicenter of any celebrity usually. So it's kind of, but it's a different thing when you're used to having people in person or having your own studio. So I can definitely understand the the uh, difference there. Well, I'm glad you're feeling good. I feel the same way. I, uh, I've i been so sick of cooking. I just had to go through the Panera drive through last night just to have something different. I'm, mm. I'm overcooking right about now. <laughs> what Someone did you get from Panera? Because I love Panera. I am a pick two fiend. I had the yes. um, one of my favorite go to salads is the Thai chicken salad. So I had their Thai mm-hmm. chicken salad, and I the soup of the day yesterday was a summer corn chowder, which I decided I usually have their broccoli cheddar or their black bean, but I I had the uh, summer corn chowder. So it's good stuff. I've had that summer corn chowder. It is delicious. I before all this happened, I called Panera. My um my office, my Sunday office. I go there every Sunday to prep for interviews and everything for the show. So they have, um, I'm sure they have it everywhere, but I know our Panera does. They have their new thing they've rolled out the last couple months, the $9 unlimited coffee card. Have you got one of those things yet? Oh, I haven't. Oh, my God, is it so good. It's $9, $9 a month. You get as many co- – I mean, when I go there to work on Sundays, it's free refills anyway. One of the reasons I go there. But um, <laughs> but now I can drive by every day and go through the drive through and get my little I, – I love their hazelnut coffee, a little dash of cinnamon in it. Good yeah. stuff. So I, I get that about every other day mm. now when I can go out. Now that I can't go out, not so much. All right, let's go ahead and jump into it. I mean, you are surrounded by theater people, and theater people have always stepped up in a crisis. I mean, back during – the AIDS pandemic and looking out for each other. We've had Rosie back a couple of weeks ago, raising $500,000 for the actors fund. Uh, Andrew Feldman from Jeremy Hansen's doing a fantastic, uh, what he calls Broadway jackpot series right now. Um, how magical is the city that even when it shuts down um, that so many people are out there supporting each other. I love it. Even though we can't go to the theater live, I feel like, there's so much online content right now that I'm not I'm not lacking for uh, I'm not I'm not lacking any kind of of distraction from from the pandemic. I mean, Rosie's show was incredible. Um, I also love that Joe's Pub is doing their live series on YouTube where they're showing past performances of some of their shows. Uh, 54 Below just started an at-home series where they're doing a mixture of showing old concerts and then a few artists are doing a live at-home concert as well, which is fantastic. Oh, and they great. have an amazing, amazing lineup of, of people. I know David Yazbek either just did or is about to do a, a live concert. They're going to be showing um, 
Anne Hampton Calloway's Linda Ronstadt's Songbook concert. They're showing Liz Calloway's The Beat Goes On. They're showing Kyle Dean Massey. They're going to be showing um, tonight. They're showing Melissa Errico. So, I mean, it's just extraordinary shows that they're bringing out of the vault and some people doing it live as well, which is terrific. Oh, Charles Bush's Native New Yorker they're going to be showing. Oh, wow. um, Yeah, which is, I mean, it was his show in particular. Out of all the cabaret shows of his that I've seen, that was my absolute favorite show of his. That is so amazing. I'm glad. I will have to be on the lookout for that. That sounds great. Yes. Are, it's going to be terrific. I love those. So, there's so much good content. But I like. I think tonight, tonight I'm like so torn. I have a, a good friend, Brandon Stansell, out country artist, is doing a little thing for Drag Fest um, online tonight at 8 o'clock. Also at 8 o'clock, my good buddy Terry Ray is doing a stage reading of a Terrence McNally play, Love, Valor, Compassion, with like uh, Jason, um, who else? Uh, Jay Rodriguez from Queer Eyes is going to be doing it with him. Um, Jason, I can't remember Jason's last name all of a sudden, from uh, is doing it. They're, they're doing a great stage reading. And then I don't know if you saw it last night. I'm a huge Shits Creek fan. I don't know if you're into that show yet or not. But I Dan am. Levy, I have not. Well, I've not watched the oh. current season yet, but um, so I've, I got through the first five seasons. I'm in the same place. I'm in the exact same place as you because I don't have my little Hulu Plus, but um, yeah. I do. I have seen five seasons on Netflix. But Dan Levy did a um, live stream last night with the entire cast. Ryan Reynolds was in there. Uh, he popped in on it a couple of times. Um, they were raising money for Canada Food Bank and for America, um, for Feed America. And they're oh. doing another one tonight. I mean, there's so much content out there right now. I'm going crazy. I know. And also tonight um, at 7 o'clock, I know Peter Michael Marino is doing his show. He did. did he wrote a musical based called Desperately Seeking the Exit, which is based on Madonna's <laughs> Desperately Seeking Susan. And it opened right. using the music of Blondie. And so it opened in London a uh, like in 2007, it opened and closed within a month. And then tonight, uh, Saturday and Sunday and Friday. So tonight, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he's doing um, basically an hour show online about the making, the opening and closing of that show. But what is special about his performance is that it's actually live, even though it's online, he's performing it live, but he will be able to hear and see the audience, and the audience is going to be able to hear and see each other as well. So it's going to truly be an interactive experience. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'll have to put that on my list yeah. at 7 o'clock, yay, because everything else is on at the same time at 8 o'clock, so I like that. Yes, I know. Well, speaking of content, like I said, you do three shows now at least. They have some amazing interviews. You just talked with my buddy, Dan Zimmerman, who's going to be on my show yes. in a couple of weeks. And you guys have something in common. You guys were on the cruise a little bit ago, a little Golden Girl cruise, where you uh, got on stage yourself. Talk about how that experience was. Oh, my God. It was incredible. So, um, so yes, we went on the inaugural uh, Golden Girls at Sea cruise. And I went on the second sailing of it because the first sailing sold out so quickly I couldn't get on. So I booked that cruise a year ago, and I booked it to go with my boyfriend. And at the time, we, we were only together six months, and we were both like, 
let's just do it. And I was like, now you can't break up with me. So he didn't, <laughs> and I didn't break up with him. So we stayed together, and we went on the cruise. And it was incredible. And Stan was on the cruise. Um, Rue McClanahan's sister, Melinda M- McClanahan, was on the cruise. Frank DeCaro um, and Jim Colucci, which uh, are great friends. Yes, yeah. yes. Frank DeCaro, uh, Michael LaRue, who owned the um, ca- uh, Cafe LaRue um, up in Washington oh, Heights. Which was, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so he was on the cruise. So it was, it was great. And they all did a panel together to talk about the Golden Girls. And um, Stan and I met that first night on the second sailing. And we were just we were chit-chatting and then – I told him about my podcast, which is uh, Bearing It All with Call Me Adam. It's on the Broadway Podcast Network. And I, we, we decided that when we get off the ship, we'll meet and we'll, we'll do an interview to talk about everything that he's done. And we did. And he is so much fun to talk to. I'm, I'm so glad that he and I are connected now. The Me performing on the cruise, so they had a final night of the cruise, they had a talent show and you were able to sign up. And so I, I signed up. I used to do stand up comedy on the side right. before I had my website and I haven't done stand up comedy in like 12 years, 11, 12 years. So when they had the talent show, I was like, you know what? I had this golden girl skit when I used to do stand up comedy. I was like, this is the perfect place to perform it. Let me, get my feet wet again and it was so much fun I I really enjoyed it and it just makes me want to be on stage I mean I guess in the end I've always wanted to be on stage and I would love to find a way to do more live events and be able to to be on stage and really engage with audiences that way that would be amazing well congratulations on that I'm so glad you met Stan he is literally one of those persons that's less degrees of separation than uh, Kevin Bacon. He knows anybody who's yeah. anybody anywhere. And he uh, he's just an amazing guy. He's done so much great things. Great interview. you got to go check out Adam's website. We'll give that in a bit. Um, so many great interviews now I need to talk about. But speaking of interviews, I mean, you were really one of the, one of the few entertainment uh, reporters that asked a question that fans either – didn't know they wanted to know or those who you interviewed didn't really expect to be asked. I've really based my interviews on you. I know from experience that takes a lot of research, which is actually the fun part for me. How do you go about getting your show prep together? Yeah, well, like you mentioned, I, I do a lot of research. I, um, I mean, I always look to see first if they have a website. Otherwise, um, I just go online and see what information I can find. If it's a, sh- a show specific or film or TV related, I definitely try to watch anything I can before the interview cause, because that will sometimes spark questions for me. Um, and I guess I-, I really just think about things that I want to know. Um, you know, growing up, I used to read entertainment interviews all the time. I mean, I read everything in you know, People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, Rolling Stone, and then when I really got into theater, I would read, you know, Playbill.com, Broadway.com, all of their interviews. And the the one thing I, I kind of always noticed was a lot of the interviews, the artists would say similar things. And, and I just felt like, especially growing up, the same answers in, in all the interviews, depend, just 
despite the magazine. So I, when I started my site, I really wanted to focus on asking questions that other hosts don't. And I feel like I've managed pretty well. I mean, of course, there's certain things I ask that other people ask as well. I mean, you know, I I like to give an intro as to who the artist is. So, I mean, everybody's going to ask, you know, who inspired them or how did they get into the business? I mean, that's just a a common question that everybody asks. But then I do try to get into the intricacies of their life or somehow whatever character they're working on, I like to sort of relate that to their life somehow. So whether it's through something I saw or something I read, I just, I just find a way to, to relate that back to them. And I like to get personal. I mean, I want, I want people to really get to know these artists. And um, fortunately for me, they're, they've all been willing to divulge. And if they're not willing to, to be, to come forth with information, Sometimes they'll give me an explanation as to why not, and other times they'll just not answer. You know, they they won't answer, but they'll justify it. Well, I I, I tell you, I have based my interview style on you since the very beginning because I feel the same way. I like getting the, and I do I do interviews that I like. So these are people that I want to talk to. It's not really as much for my listeners as much as it is for me. And I think that makes yeah. it more fun as an interviewer, too, if you're really into the subject you want to talk about, right? No, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I find, because I, I do come from the fan approach for my interviews. I mean, I definitely try to reach out to the people that I'm a fan of. And, I mean, I do I do want to, of course, get um, names that people are familiar with across the board. But, I mean, some of my best interviews I feel have been like um, people that I'm a fan of but maybe not everybody knows their name but then I'm able to have such great conversations with them because I feel so comfortable with them so uh, yeah I I definitely go at it from from who I'm interested in but then I do always try to find a way to, to make it universal so hopefully there will be something that will catch someone's eye and they'll be like Oh, I feel that way, or or I've been through that experience too, and it will make them even more excited about the interview. But I do want to say real quick about somebody you mentioned briefly before is Brandon Stansel. Um, I have not interviewed him yet, but Brandon and I used to work together. I used to be the um, office manager at Spotco. I was there for 13 years, and Brandon uh, worked at Spotco as well in the. Um, accounts department and he and I worked together probably for about a, I think two years, two, maybe two to three years. So it's great to see him now be this successful country artist. It's, it's just wonderful. That is awesome. Well, I'm sure you have contact if you need it, let me know and I will reintroduce you guys for sure. Thank you. Um, now Thank talk you. about, um, talk about maybe some aspirational moments that you've had with your guests. Is there anyone that really stands out to you, not just for their work, but maybe the people they turned out to be during the interview, maybe caught you a little off guard? Um, wow, that's a good question. Uh, I think, I mean, definitely my recent interview with Mary Beth Peel was um, extraordinary. I mean, 
the life that she has had and how she went from starting out in opera to musical theater to television. And um, she was one of the people that doesn't really feel comfortable talking about her personal life. And she gave, so when I got to the question about um, what is something that about yourself that you haven't revealed in previous interviews, and she gave a great explanation about why she doesn't really like talking about her personal life. I mean, if it relates to the work, she's very forthcoming, but but she doesn't really like talking about her personal life that much in interviews, and I totally respect that. And we had this amazing right. conversation about her work and that, and and that was that was really great. I mean, Stan, too, we just had great chemistry together, and he's very forthcoming with a lot of fun stories. Um, Julie Halston is another person I always have a great time talking to. She's very funny and um, she she's game for everything. I mean, pretty much everybody that I I have spoken to, um, I have started to reveal uh, the one person uh, who I probably had the most difficult time interviewing. And since she's dead, I, I don't mind saying that. <laughs> But I, the hardest interview I ever did was actually with Marion Seldes. Really? And okay. yes, because so it was at the beginning when I first started my website, and at that time I was I was doing the interviews in person instead of recording them. I was um, I was writing I was still writing the information down, but every question I asked was like pulling teeth to get an answer. You know, I, I remember mm-hmm. asking her what what her favorite role has been and she would just be like well how could you choose they're all great um i asked her what's your fa- what's your favorite gift oh i don't know and then she was like all right oh my hug for my grandchildren i mean it was literally like pulling teeth and it was i i never forgot it because it was just so difficult right. so that was um, that's my next question what your toughest one was so you you got ahead of me on that one and, and yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, my my toughest interview, and I've talked about it on air, and I've talked to the person in person about it, um, and it was relatively early on in my career as well, was Margaret Cho. Um, and oh. I, it, I was like, I don't, it was very surprising because she was a comedian, and I've always been a huge fan and very forthcoming, but she only answers direct questions. She wasn't a big talker. I thought she'd be this huge talker being a comedian. And she really wasn't. So our interview lasted about 20 minutes because she would just answer questions like, that's it. She wouldn't add anything to it. And I went through all my questions so fast. It made me a better interviewer afterwards. Now I do like I have hundreds of questions that I might not even ask just in case I get really short answers. Or yeah. I, but it was very I, I've had her on four times since, and we get along great now. But it was the hardest interview I ever did the very first time I interviewed her. Wow, that's that's incredible. I did an email interview with her, and I mean, she wrote. She definitely wrote very well, and and I feel like supplied a lot. So it is surprising to hear that that she wasn't as much of a talker as as we would think. I was I was surprised on the beginning, but it's all turned out great for that. Now, of all the people you've interviewed, if you could be a fly on the wall for a day, who would you love to follow around, and why? Oh my gosh. Uh 
that's such a hard question because there are so many people I would love to <laughs> be a fly on the wall with. But I guess if I if I had to choose one person, um, I mean, I think I would have to choose Olivia Newton-John. Ooh, because answer, especially now. Because, yes, I mean, she is just, every time I've spoken to her, she is just the nicest. She's very easy to talk to. She, 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 um, I just lost my train of thought because I just get so tongue-tied sometimes <laughs> about her, but. I mean, I think there's there's so much that she does, and it would be so great just to see how she is away from the spotlight. Um, I mean, I definitely, I don't, I, I definitely feel like she she is who she is in every aspect of her life. Like what you see is what you get with her. I definitely believe that. But it would be fun just to see her, like, binge watching TV or or get to watch her do her her yoga or her meditation or Right. Um, so it's sort of behind the scenes things that she talks about, but you never really see, um, you know, That's or just like her sitting it. around with her friends, you know, gabbing. Like, now, do what you do have they Randy Slavacek on your show yet? I have not. I need to hook you up with Randy. That'd be a fun interview for you as well. Randy, of course, um, was on Broadway for a long time. He's with Carol Channing back in the day and did Hello Dolly with Carol Channing as part of the chorus in yes. there. He's also does a great entertainment blog and writes for so many great things. But his husband Michael is her publicist. Is yes. on publicist. So yeah, they, they have great say. stories. I love getting a story from Randy whenever I can because like I said, she's she's just fascinating. But that's that's a you guys would definitely bond over that for sure. That's awesome. I met Randy now, a few years ago, actually, when I went to Vegas. Um, I went to Vegas for my 40th birthday because Olivia was actually performing her residency on my actual birthday. And, um, and I saw Michael and, and then met Randy as well. That is great. They're they're just fantastic. Whenever we go to Vegas, he hooks us up all the time. It's great. And he is just the most nicest, realest person you've ever met. And I'm just taking it back for a second. Your 40th birthday, do you have a Dorian Gray picture somewhere? You look about 32. <laughs> Man, that was a shock right there, my friend. Good on you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, well, let's talk about, like I said, you're really the man with all this stuff you're doing. You have a blog style interviews. You have video interviews. Talk about, for you, what are the advantages and disadvantages of both? Um, I love that you're part of Broadway Podcast Network. What kind of style? Do you have a preference of your style, or does everything work for you? I would say I, uh, my video interviews have kind of taken a back seat, although I did just, um, I when I was on the Golden Girls cruise, the Golden Gays of New York City were on the cruise as well, and we did an impromptu video interview, which will be coming out soon. Um so that was like my first video interview in probably two years, maybe. Um, nice. I would have to. I would have to say my favorite style, I think, is is my podcast. Um, I love being part of the Broadway Podcast Network. I love it. I love that it's a, 
a community of like-minded people who have a passion for theater. I mean, there's over 50 theater podcasts on there and, and everybody does their own thing. And I love how unique it is. Um, I love the podcast too, because I do like getting to talk with everybody and being in person with them. And it's a lot less pressure than being on camera because Right. I don't have to worry about is is the camera focused? Is the video going? It, how do we look? Angle. Um, you know, I had a, I had a you know one time I had a, a, a this amazing video interview with Tori Scott, who's a a comedian and cabaret artist, and we had the best time. And unfortunately, the video portion somehow did not get captured but the audio did so that was sort of like a very that was two years ago at this point so that was like a very early stage of oh maybe I could do just audio interviews sometime so I mean it was unfortunate because we had such great chemistry together which comes through on the audio but it was a lot of fun I just remember being in person it was a lot of fun to see that and then another time in my very early stages of video interviews when I was just filming with my phone, um, I did this great interview with Jan Maxwell and Jennifer Van Dyke. They were doing an off-Broadway show together at the Atlantic Theater Company. No, not Atlantic Theater Company. It was um, um, it was a different off-theater. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But anyway, I did this amazing interview with them and in that one the video was great but for some reason there was no audio Mm. and I mean it is the worst feeling to then have to go back to the press rep and be like this happened I mean it happens it happens to everybody but it is definitely happened to me most awful thing to happen because you usually don't get another chance I mean then it's just like you have this unfortunate experience and um but i mean i did like the i mean what i liked about the video again was the in-person thing and for my website i mean most of my interviews on my website i do over email which to get the interview up is a lot easier because you know you can just copy and paste the answers right um so and i like that because you know i it's like i can send the questions they send it back and then you know while i'm waiting for their answers I can, you know, work on other things. Um, sure. Uh, so I I don't love, um, I don't love the editing process. Uh, I'm fortunately, <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I I do have a a great editor that I work with, and um, you know, I send him my notes and he edits it all together, and he does amazing work. So um, I'm I'm thrilled. His name is Kaufman. Uh, he's based in California, and he's incredible he's done some of my video editing but he does all my podcast editing and i just I, i'm so thankful for him that i do all my own and you can tell so we'll have to talk out there <laughs> my friend goodness gracious well talk to me a second i mean you are so prolific in all of your interviews you're doing um all the time now do you actually get out to see shows that often instead of just write about them and the performers what are some of the Highlights you got to see in 2020 before uh, we were all shut down. Before the shutdown, um, I was 
I mean, for for a while, I was focusing more on cabaret, more on cabaret shows. I love going to Fifty Four Below. Um, it's probably right. it's one of my my favorite cabaret venues. I love Birdland as well. Um, so I I I saw Julie Halston at Birdland. Um, uh, I actually went out to Long Island. I saw Anne Hampton Calloway. She did her Linda Ronstadt songbook show out there. So I got to go with my parents and my boyfriend and we all got to see her there. Um, I had seen her do it at 54 below as well. And it's just an incredible show. Um, I love going to the the green room. 42 is great. They have a lot of fun shows. Um, But let's see in 2020, what did I see? Um, I did get to the the inheritance at all. I mean, that's just been, I did. Yes. Yes. Literally. I went the uh, I went on March 6th to the Inheritance Part 1, and we were at the Wednesday, March 11th. We were at Part 2. Uh, so literally their, what turned out to be their final performance we we went to. Oh, my goodness, it was, right. It was so good. I mean, I will say I was, when I left Part 1, I was a little confused as to certain things that were happening. But I thought part two was incredible because first of all, it answered all my questions from part one that I was like thinking about. Um, <laughs> but I just thought the act, the acting was great. The, um, the, the writing was great. So I'm really, I am really glad that I saw it. And it's a huge investment because it's like each act is like three, a little over three hours. So it was right. a definite investment of time, but I will say I'm thrilled that I saw it. My, my, I do wish I, I love Tony Goldwyn. I mean, I think he's an incredible actor, but he did take over for John Benjamin Hickey, who I adore. So I mm. am, I am, it was, it was, I wish I got to see it with John Benjamin Hickey, but uh, I'm just thrilled that I got to see it. And the, the, who I saw, he's, he's in part two. I was really excited because um, the actor that plays Noah on Law & Order SVU was playing that role certain nights, and I was so excited. But unfortunately, the night that I saw part two, he was not in the role. And I was just so excited Aww. to hopefully get to see right. him because I love I love him on, on SVU. He's so good. But what can you do? Nice. Hopefully, he what will be in do? another Broadway show. Um, I did see Chicago as well with um, Erica Jane from The Real Housewives. And, I mean, that show is still great. It is – it's just so good. And she was a very fun Roxy. Um, She had – I thought she had great chemistry with with, um, Velma. And it's just – I, I just love that show. I, I think, I mean, it's still going, and there's a reason it's still going because it still holds itself together. And and there are some people like, um, oh God, I'm when I, when I'm on the spot, like everybody's name just leaps out of my head. But <laughs> the actress that plays Delma Kelly, she's been with the teen years, and it's just like, or or even longer because she did it uh, on tour too. Um, but anyway, it's just amazing that after 15 years, she's still like, you would think she just came into the show. I mean, everybody's just like, they're still so excited and it's great. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. 
And is there anything on your radar that we might not be aware of if we ever get up and running again here in New York? Anything you're looking forward to seeing? Um, I'm trying to think what. Oh, I want to see Company, of course. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, Patty Lapone, uh, right. Matt Doyle's in it, Claiborne Elder, Kyle Dean Massey, uh, Christopher Sieber. So, yeah, I definitely want to see that when that when when we get back up and running. Uh, what was it? It it it's unfortunately not coming back. Um, Laurie Metcalf was just in it with Rupert Everett. I think it was. was oh, it, was I'm of Virginia to Wells. Jokey about that. He said it was amazing. Um, I'm trying to remember yeah. now. Let me see. Oh, I well, want to that, but but it's not coming back. Right. So I'm not seeing it. Um, but I love Laurie Metcalf. So anything, I mean, anything she does. I saw her in um Hillary in Clinton when she did that last season or two seasons ago now, right. uh, she was fantastic in that. So anything she does, I'm like, yes, I want to see that. I mean, really other than company off the top of my head, that's of the forefront. That's something I definitely want to see. That sounds good. I, same thing. I love all the people you mentioned. Um, but yeah, that was, that's going to be a great show. Patty's been so funny since her Rosie thing. She just got on the videos lately. She is just hilarious all of a sudden. I'm loving yes, Patty I know. on her little <laughs> video. I wagon. love I love her videos. I love her basement. I mean, I think everybody now loves her basement. And exactly. I say this any chance I get, I want to challenge her to a pinball machine game. I mean, I love that she has a pinball machine, and I I, I mean, Patty Lapone, if you are listening to this, I challenge you to a pinball game. Can you imagine that web series where Patty Lapone plays pinball against some of the greatest celebrities on Broadway and just have little interviews that, while they're playing? Oh my God, I love that, that would be amazing. And I I I I've tried I tweeted at her and I. I can't remember if I hashtagged it to her or I hashtagged it with someone else, but I did hashtag Pinball Wizard because my, I mean, my all-time favorite Broadway show is The Who's Tommy. So when I saw that pinball machine, I mean, my first question was, is she a pinball wizard? We will get this trending, my friend. We will get you there. That that will be yeah, our I, goal in life after this. <laughs> yes, I would love that. I would love that more than anything. All right, well. Maybe I'll, create, maybe I'll create a video. For, uh, I like it. I, li- I get producer credit, damn it. My idea. Yes, yes, <laughs> as, I love as, it. As, as concepted by. Um, yes. So many great things going on, like I said, so many great so – we're going to talk about all your links and uh, you can pull from your website here, all the different shows you do. Talk about anything in your future you're seeing uh, for Adam. Like, you're such a great writer. Um, have you ever thought about putting a book together of all your interviews, or what's what's on the horizon for you? Um, I mean, I want to, I, I definitely want to continue to grow my, my podcast. Um, you know, I love being on the Broadway podcast network, so I definitely want to look for more things to do with them. I would love to, in 2017, which kind of gave me the idea for, for this, for what is now my podcast, I did a one night only, um, vibe event of bearing it all with call me Adam at the green room 42 and I had Annie golden and Lynn Tucci and Lauren elder and Bobby Cronin as my guests. And it was so much fun. And that sort of, I kept, I kept having that idea in my head, bearing it all with call me Adam. I'm like, that is definitely the name of a, of a TV show of, of something. And it has now morphed into what my podcast is. 
Um, but I would love to do a live event like that again. It's it's so much fun. I love interacting with the audience like that. I love crafting that whole idea. Um, I I haven't thought about really doing a book of my interviews, um, but possibly I would also love to, I mean, I would love to guest host different things. I would love to, or MC some events. I would definitely love to do that. I would love to, for other people, I mean, I would love to, to be able to do interviews for like the Huffington Post or the Advocate or Out Magazine. Um, right. Or, I mean, uh, People Entertainment Weekly. I, I, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I always wanted to be on E. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind being like a mm-hmm. correspondent or like how Ellen has a special correspondent. I wouldn't mind doing that. Like Red Carpet. I love the Red Carpet interviews. Well, you have the talent for it, my friend. That's for sure. Well, we've got to start Thank wrapping you. up here. Um, I want you to let everyone know the website address and where they can find you on social media. Okay. So my website is callmeadam.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at callmeadamnyc. And my podcast, which is bearing it all with Call Me Adam is on the Broadway Podcast Network, and you could just go to um, B as in boy, P as in Peter, N as in Nancy. Dot FM uh, backslash um, bearing it all, and that will take you right to it. Or you could just Google Broadway Podcast Network, and you can find my podcast on there as well. Great. We'll have it as a link in the description of our podcast oh, here wonderful. today. Adam Rothenberg, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I can't believe you've waited this long. We're going to have to have you back more often to make a little regular segment here. You're a delight as always, my friend. Oh, thank you. I would love I would love a, a, a little segment on your show. I love your show, so that would be so much fun. Thank you, my friend. Back at you, and we will make that happen. I'm so bummed. I mean, I'm Six and a half hour drive from New York, and now is the perfect time to go. Gas was one forty nine yesterday, and there's nobody on the streets of New York. If there was I something know. to do, I'd be there in a hot minute. <laughs> I know that would be so great. Uh, well, next time I come to town, we're definitely having a cocktail and paint the town red, my friend. I I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, I would love that. We do. We're going to have um, we're going to do a special segment of five questions with Adam here. Uh, look for that as a special bonus content. But we're going to go ahead and play out now. Adam, stay on the line for me. Thanks okay. so much for being on the show. Guys, you're listening to the Left oh, of Straight welcome. Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Sun coming up, West Virginia Highway. Just couldn't sleep in the bed that you made. We're going to run.
All righty, everyone. We are back. That was Matt Van Fossen with Where Are You Going to Run To Now? Guys, I hope you're going to run to your Instagram and Twitter and follow my two fantastic guests today, Michael Verratti and, of course, Adam Rothenberg from Call Me Adam NYC. Two great interviews. Really appreciated having them on. Follow them on social media. Uh, look for Michael's movies and projects. And be sure to listen to Adam's fantastic podcasts and read his blogs. Uh, I'm definitely getting together with Adam later this week, and we're going to talk about bringing him on as a regular feature on the show. So I'm excited about that. That'll be a lot of fun. And as you heard at the end there, we need to get Adam to play pinball with the one, the only, the legend herself, Patty Lapone. So can we do this left to straight family? Can we do hashtag pinball with Patty and make it happen? I hope so. I'm going to hash, send it out tonight. We'll send it out tomorrow. See what we can do. Um, she has that beautiful basement tour. She's been going. We saw that pinball machine there, so we have to do it. So let's make it all happen. Guys, I appreciate you being part of the left to straight show today. If you're not subscribed already, hey, why aren't you? Go to your favorite podcast distributor. We're always uh, there within 24 hours of the live shows here. You can go to Spotify, to iHeartRadio, to Google Podcasts, to Apple Podcasts. Look under the Left of Straight Show, always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight show. And please give a little subscribe if you like the episode. Give it a five-star rating so it'll be sent out to more people that listen to those podcast distributors. Also, if you're not following me on social media, let's be friends, guys. At Left of Straight on Twitter and Instagram. The Left of Straight Show personal Facebook profile is open to public. Scott Fullerton, always accepting new friend requests. As I said, next week we are going to start five days a week during Corona 2020 because I have so many great interviews coming at you. So be sure to listen and look for all of the uh, promo pictures coming out. Be on at the same time. Uh, West Coast, 6 o'clock. East Coast, 9 o'clock. Going to have some great interviews coming with some great people we talked about earlier in the show. People like Billy Clift, Tommy Grassi, Carson Jones, Fred Carger, Paul Richmond, Joshua Conkle, Crystal Beverly, Bruce Hart, Jason Utley, Jonathan Bennett, Rachel Mason, so many great people. Looking forward to it all. Appreciate you being part of the Left to Straight family, and have a great night, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.